Welcome to the Cryptomaniacs Podcast. Join Taskmaster 4450 and John G. Olson each and every week as they dive into the crazy world of cryptocurrency. If you are new to crypto or you've been through a few bear markets in the past, this podcast is for you. It's time to start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, children of every age denomination, welcome once again to the Cryptomaniacs podcast. Actually, we should call this the uh, the Cryptomaniacs CTT podcast. It's kind of like everything. But the, the, the most important question to ask these guys to ask, you know what I'm going to start with? Did you guys get your badge? That's all we want to know. Did you get your badge? They don't Don't even know they get a badge. (laughs) No idea what we're talking about. Did I get a badge, Matt? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Good. 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 No, uh, Archange was on, and and he gave us little badges on HiveBuzz to give out to people that showed up to the, like, you know, were guests on the podcast. So, uh, you know, me and Tass were painfully giving them out to everyone because it's a little bit of a process i made sure that we got them to you guys that was first and foremost so you know this is your third time here and you you're like gluttons for punishment or something but you're back and uh, it's it's great to have you guys uh once again for the show and um task but, but task i got a question john Yes, Are sir. they the CTT guys or the Speak guys? I mean, it, it's like they originally were the Speak Network guys or the Speak guys. Now they're the CTT guys, and you know. Well, I put it in my my Telegram that it was the Speak Network. I mean, that's that's what I did. That's you know, but they're we're going to confuse the masses. That's great. It's exciting. No, huh? multi brands. It's good. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that. Yeah, I guess I guess at a certain point. Once the Speak Network is built and running, we we want to be start to become known more as the CDT guys, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my badge, by the way. I, I did get it. Cryptomaniacs <laughs> podcast Perfect. guest. Good. Thank you, sir. I was I was a little worried there. I was making sure. Yeah. It's good. It's we, good. we know what has Dan's attention now. He's just staring at the badge. <laughs> I had to go check. Yeah, it's there. I got a lot of cool stuff. The badges are awesome. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be a time soon where like everyone can just like auto generate badges of their own free will and just start bombarding Dan with badges and he'll start losing all of his poker games. No, these are the <laughs> these are the NFTs that matter, you know. These are the the the, the accolades. They they may not have much monetary value, but they have sentimental value. Mm-hmm. Social there's, value. There's probably a song in there somewhere. <laughs> So guys, thank you for for showing up this week and and helping us out here. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on, and and a really big show. And you guys are at the core of of a lot of it. And uh, of course, then what you're not at the core of, you have opinions or ideas or or maybe some input about. So uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, one of the things I wanted to to start with, and I'll target this uh, to you, Dan, because this is, it appears, near and dear to your heart. Um, there's an airdrop 
that is going on that is live i guess this month i, I don't know when the expiration is but uh many people can claim now the ragnarok airdrop and uh you guys put out a post about how to do that and set that up with with deluxe and if you would for those who who aren't aware maybe if you could give a quick overview of what Ragnarok is, uh, where you got the inspiration for this game, uh, and how you think it, it's going to benefit Hive and, and how it ties into Hive. Because I, I don't know if everybody's clear the correlation between what you're building with the game and, and how it ties into Hive. Yeah, Ragnarok is essentially, I'm, I'm, I want it to be the most competitive game ever built. And I want it to be the fairest game ever built where you can compete evenly versus everyone else, build your deck, and then be able to earn rewards for the game's entirety, which you know, should last forever. So the idea was to flip the model. Um, a lot of people want mass adoption for their game. They want as many players as possible. But I, you know, I've noticed a trend of people watching games and people you know, really like to watch professional players compete. And when you really look around, there's not a game that's really tailored to that, mostly because this technology is new. Um, with NFTs, you can now introduce scarcity into these games in a way that you couldn't before. So that, you know, just from my background, being a poker player, I played chess growing up. Um, I've always been playing competitive games for as long as I can remember. Um, I believe that, you know, the NFT market has brought some of that competitiveness back, but I saw an opportunity to do something that no one else did, which was to sort of create an ownerless game that's community run. And um, part of that was inspired by Hive. I sort of saw Hive as this, you know, ownerless chain. You know, everyone owns it, but not one person owns it. No CEO, no, no company behind it. And I was thinking, you know, this could be sort of the chain where you create all kinds of apps in the same nature. Because the distribution is so great, you know, I'm not dropping it to some pre-mined founders or whatnot. I'm, I'm dropping it to an actual community. It's just a great experiment in terms of trying to bootstrap a game and a community using the Hive ecosystem. Get people skin in the game with the airdrop. There is no company behind it. There is no entity that holds any of the value over the community at all. It's all all distributed equally based on your Hive stake. And then the idea was, okay, well, how does this benefit Hive? How can we not only drop it to the community, but now have the community feel a sense of, well, I want this game to succeed because I'm a Hive holder and this benefits Hive. And that's where the, the sync came in. Because, of course, we could have sold the cards and even, you know, add, uh, add the, um, added the Hive to a, to a SIP or a DAO, which was a thought. But... I thought to get the barrier to entry as low as possible and to get this distributed as fair as possible, I wanted to, I wanted to be the zero entry. You know, you just have your hive and you get your free entities. Then from there, we got creative, thinking of perpetual sinks, things like food, um, potions to to heal your 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 characters. After every battle, your characters don't heal, um, or they're going to heal very 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 slowly, and you can have potions to speed that up. Um, food. You know, if you ever played a game, if you run out of food, your stats start to go down, you become weaker. So these are just basically like month, like rent almost. If you're going to play the game, you're going to have to get some potions, 
get some food. All of this costs HBD. And that HBD is then locked. And the, what, what, I, what I really saw the opportunity was with the high interest rate, whether it fluctuates from 20 to 10, even down to five, it's still a sustainable model where you have constant HBD going into this thing and not coming out. And then that interest is paid out every year to the players. So I really wanted this to be in the essence of, hey, we have the tools here to build a big enough HBD pot to make this a professional game where instead of, you know, relying on backers, you have um, this fund that is community owned and it pays back to the users of the game in a way where you know it's going to be there next year. And you know it's not only going to be there next year, there's going to be more. Right? There's not going to be less. So that was sort of the, uh, the the whole spirit of it. I wanted it to be sustainable, but also be a very big sink for HBD, which helps Hive get everyone involved. And now we can really create something where people can become professional gamers and get a scarce deck of cards, compete, carve a, a niche out, and actually have you know income they know is going to be there every year. So that was sort of the um, the inspiration for it. <clears throat> very cool um one thing that comes to my mind and and there was talk uh and i got this directly from john who seems to know a lot more about splinterlands than i do but one of the uh proposed ideas we've heard from splinterlands is one of the use cases for sps is you if you're not a player in the game you can uh basically, you know, bootstrap your SPS to a, a player as a way of maybe, um, you know, getting some of the rewards from that player. Do you envision any anything like that? If I'm not a Ragnarok player, I'm not a gamer, but I want to be involved in a certain way. Is there a way I can, for example, bet on Matt or, or support Matt and say, okay, I'm going to take buy some in-game tokens and I'm going to Bet, bet on Matt because I think Matt's just awesome at this. And then whatever he earns, there could be some type of pool that's distributed. Did you consider something like that? Yeah. Um, the One of the main reasons to build this in the way I did was because I wanted there to be large side betting. And, you know, side betting has a lot of laws that you have to deal with. But if you're not dealing with a company, if you're dealing with an open protocol with no door to attack, then you can have betting and it's sort of like a just deal with it type of moment. It can't knock on my door and stop it. So the idea is, first of all, yes, you'll be able to rent the cards out. You'll be able to rent the cards out and earn um, what they earn, which is EXP coin or their yearly reward. So you, you'll be able to have that parameter. So you can basically lend it out and say, hey, we're going to split rewards or, hey, I'm just going to rent it to you and you keep all of your rewards, but you have to pay me X similar to how Splinterlands has their, their rental market. Um, the currency in the game is going to be EXP coin. So there's two currencies in the game, HBD, which is needed to buy in-game items, and then EXP coin, which is used to power up your cards. So all the cards start with zero stats, or, or I mean level one. And in order to max them out, you actually need to earn this exp coin there's nowhere you can buy it everyone starts at zero when the game launches everyone's going to be i guess frantically battling to try to get the first exp coins the first level up the cards and see what the new abilities are and all of that so i envision exp coins going to be um pretty valuable at least for people who want to save time um so 
that would be the way um that would be the way if you want to get involved you could rent it out or you could give it to the person lend it to the person and there'll be a reward cut like a reward share those would be the the two immediate but of course the community comes up with any great ideas um always willing to add more features now, now you mentioned this betting <clears throat> that you envision a, a, a game where there's a lot of side betting go, going on. Is that something you're building into the platform, or will that be a, a second layer or a side uh, uh, development by whoever develops those type of markets? No, it's going to be built into the actual protocol. Um, you can. It's going to be very similar to poker, where if you go to a poker site, you can bet on a player. You can stake a player for higher competitions i in this way you would be basically lending them a deck um almost being like their sponsor um but yeah there's going to be as you can put up the action saying hey i, t I want x amount i think matt's going to be dan and then somebody could take up that action and it'll go into a multi-sig account and then there'll be small fees taken from that put back into the game um so that'd be another hbd sync um all of it will be done through hbd all the betting and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I envision it. Excellent, John. You got any questions uh, surrounding Ragnarok? Yeah, something Dan you mentioned um, when uh, you started describing Ragnarok is the how people love viewing games, and you know you just need to look at something like Twitch to see the market for people just literally <laughs> obsessed with watching other people. How how do you how do you look at that? with 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 your game like how how is this going to be something that someone will want to yes you know like you put the the side betting to it and that's cool but uh what are some of the the things you think that will make this something that people want to watch and pay attention to yeah that that would be the competitiveness of it um what i what people really like is a game where you can flaunt your skills um, one of the reasons Fortnite was so popular because people could build those walls and it's almost mesmerizing watching them click the button so fast. It's like, wow, how are they so skilled? Um, it's the same format. Why do people watch poker? Right. Um, you know, people don't watch chess as much, but, you know, chess is it sort of came up before the gambling era. But anytime you put a lot of money on something and there's high, a high amount of skill involved, you're going to have people that want to watch. Um, so... I've all, I always go into explaining the battle mechanics and I sound crazy because, you know, combining chess, poker, and I guess a Hearthstone Splinterland-esque type game all into one sounds very confusing, but it actually flows all into one movement. The fighting is actual poker. And um, what, what I envision is people watching exciting matches that have very close outcomes and there'll be lots of money being bet against them. And then also, in this scenario, I'm saying, um, and then you have a scarce deck of cards where not everyone can get in. So I can envision it being like a, wow, that's an expensive deck. You know, there's sort of a barrier to entry for normal people just because of the cost to get in. Right. Um, and then as you start to get <clears throat> towards the end of the year, fighting for that top 100 is going to be, because keep in mind, people can bet futures right oh i think this player is going to enter the top 100 and i'll, I'll give you know five to one or ten to one or whatever nice. um so yeah i would i would envision as the countdown to the end of the year happens people are fighting to get in that top 100 for mega prizes it's a very um poker feeling right you either get in the money or you bust 
Um, mm. So, you know, being 101 is not fun. So I envision those last months of the year being pretty intense. And um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Sorry, Dan. Matt's uh, screwing around here. And <laughs> he's amusing himself and, and me, evidently. Uh, um, he just threw me off course. Dan, is this a game for a novice? I mean, and I understand what you're saying when you, you explain the dynamics without people seeing it, without screenshots. It, it's very difficult. But is this something that somebody who is not a traditional gamer can come in? Or or is this really something that you better have, you know, years of experience in gaming? And if you don't, well, you better look for other ways to get involved. You're going to need to be a serious gamer. It's not really for someone who... Um, you're not going to get the most out of your cards if you're not playing them. This isn't a game where you want to go and, oh, I'll play once a month. If you're not really grinding, you should be putting your cards to work and renting them out because there's a scarce amount and they should be in high demand if the game is in, in high demand. Of course, any new player could come and they could learn. Um, as long as you have a passion for competitive games, you know, chess, poker. I don't know if you've played something like Hearts. So you, know, you know, Splinterlands, obviously. These are all, you know, very competitive, and they all have their own luck factors and skill factors mixed in. So, you know, it's definitely not for your, I'm going to just play once a month. It's definitely geared to the very hardcore grindy type. But that doesn't mean you can't, you know. St what I envision, if you're a casual player and you have a, an expensive deck, you might rent it out most of the month. And then you might keep it for a week where you um, where you you know play around and try not to mess up your record too badly. Hmm. <laughs> okay, John. Uh, when uh, if you would maybe get uh, search the comment section for for questions about hmm. uh, Ragnarok because we're going to move on to something else in, in a, a sec here. So if there's any questions, we'll take them while we're on topic. But one other question I had with this, Dan. Uh, please explain what a ducat, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, a, a ducat is and, and what we do with them. We're getting them on our airdrops. I mean, you go in, you follow, follow the, the, the instructions, you get, you claim these rewards. What do we do with these when we get them? Uh, uh, how, how's this unfolding? What do these all mean? And so the, the, duo, we, the reason we did this was it was just better technologically wise. Instead of um, converting the RCTs into the actual NFT, you're going to convert the Duat into an RCT, which is the NFT. It just isn't revealed yet. Once you reveal it, then you get your, your NFT. So that was the only change. The Duats are basically <clears throat> liquid or fungible um, NFT tokens. You need 112 to claim one. We did this at the also because you know there were some users who didn't have 112 hive. Well, this solved that because if you have 50 hive, you get 50 duot tokens. But yeah, that's basically what it is. You you have 112, you get one NFT. There's 3.3 million NFTs total. There'll be no more than that ever created. So um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I I lied. I have another question. These NFTs in some games you can. Uh, combine them to make them more powerful, which of course naturally reduces the amount outstanding, but the new creation is a more powerful uh, uh, feature in the game or has more powerful 
uh, features and, and attributes. Is is that also part of this game where we'll be able to combine NFTs? If I have, I don't know, two two swords, I can combine them to make a super sword or something. No, we'll be able to do that with certain items. The NFTs are fixed, and the only way to level them is the actual EXP token. So instead of combining, we went with the um, fungible token route. Okay, gotcha. John, you got any questions or any questions from the? No, I'm just I'm I'm really excited to see this because you know ever since I kind of had this aha moment with Splinterlands, um, it's kind of changed how I approach things. And this is obviously, like you said, Dan, it's, it's brand new technology. This is brand new. And, but, but just to like gaming as a whole, it's just this massive behemoth. And you combine that with the NFT stuff, the crypto stuff, the live streaming stuff. Now you put the betting, the side betting on top of it. I mean, just to like, just to see this thing be launched is going to be amazing because I think it just it it hits so many different passionate groups of people all at once. So I mean, uh, 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 when? <laughs> I guess that's the question. <laughs> so, when soon? <laughs> yeah, you have an outline of a, a timeline, maybe Dan. Um, so it's going to be in phases. The next phase to look out for would be the actual NFTs themselves, which will, you know, you'll claim, you'll see the stats on the cards. You can start building your decks. You know, we're, we're looking at, you know, a couple of months, but it could be longer. Um, the game, I'm just saying, will be in a public test this year. So by the end of this year, we should have a solid, stable public test where people can input their NFTs, play around, start earning some rewards, but they're not a part of the actual main game. After that, it's actually up to the community to put a vote when they think the game is ready to be launched. So I can only actually promise a public test net. And then after that, it'll be it'll be up to the NFT holders to actually launch the game via vote. Nice. So this is truly decentralized. Like, you know what? That's the buzz term, right? Everyone loves to throw it around. But this is truly going to be the community's game. It's not going to be a company owning it, saying how this thing goes. So. Yeah, who am I to say the game is ready? Um, when the community <laughs> says, "Yeah, we have all the features we want. This is the way," then we pull the trigger. So nice, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, but then again, I'm a complete degen when it comes to these type of games. So you know, yeah. yeah. And I'm trying to get Task into it. It's slow, slow but steady to get him excited for. Hey man, you uh, got to remember. I remember when Pong came out. So. You know, two two a, a little white dot going back and forth. That that's my starting point with games, and I ended with Atari in the 1980s. So I'm a little rusty. <laughs> a- anyway, Matt, I, I'm listening to this, and I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken, but uh, it sounds like some of this, the infrastructure, might be on, might be able to utilize the Speak Network. And uh, that's another project you guys have been involved in and, and talking about. And you said something on one of the most recent episodes. Uh, I don't remember was the past one or, or a couple back of CTT, but you, you framed it in a way that I had never heard it said before, but I, I found it real interesting. You said basically what you guys are doing is trying to incentivize decentralized node structures or something to that effect. 
Could, could you elaborate on that? And maybe for those who uh, aren't aware, maybe newcomers dive, what is Speak Network? What's your vision with that? And and where did that, that the idea of it come from for, for you guys? Yeah. Um, well, first, but before I answer that, I just want to say just one more thing on the Ragnarok theme that I think is similar to, to Speak Network and it comes from the same philosophy is that this thing of note here, with all the other things that you guys said, which are, which are amazing, amazing items that are going to happen in the Ragnarok game, the really cool thing here, I think it's going to be notable in the future that people are going to refer back to is, this is the first game where the community owns the game outright. There is no centralized builder, there's no centralized owner, there's no IP that's, company that's taking the IP profits or anything. All the profits go back into the game saving account, back to the users of the game. And the users of the game, well, not even the users, it's the NFT owners that will get the profits. So getting hold of those NFTs is effectively getting hold of a portion of the ownership of the game, you know. And this is this is the type of thinking that the blockchain and Web3 Web is starting to, to bring about. Um, so it's a completely different business model even to, to normal gaming. And I think this, this will be the, the line in the sun where people look back and go, oh shit this is what changed you know it's the same principle with the speak network and it's like whoever the owners of the speak network will be the people providing the value to the network and within the speak network it's the people providing the infrastructure you know, they're the people who are going to keep web3 decentralized and um available for everyone as a human right rather than through centralized centralized companies so the speak network is simply a group of people, anyone who wants to get involved, running social um, nodes that allow people to post social media, and then those nodes are rewarded from the protocol. And the protocol has a way of measuring the different work you're doing um, to, to contribute, and then you get rewarded by the protocol autonomously based on the work that you do uh, in terms of providing um, decentralized node infrastructure peer to peer. And that's it. But it sounds kind of complicated, but we get so that anyone can run these nodes. You know, it's not going to be that complicated to run nodes, and it's not going to be very expensive at all. Um, it'll just basically take all the power away from all that run their infrastructure and therefore are able to control your accounts and control your media and your posting capabilities. Um, the idea for it came up when Dan and I started three years ago. So, nearly pretty much, I think, uh, running a free speak. And we have devs and try and work out. And he left. I'll pick up where he's leaving off. So yeah, we, we started three speak. We realized that the infrastructure was centralized. We went about looking at things like Filecoin and a, a plethora of other, um, things out there. And the more we looked, the more we started to understand Web3. And the more that we started to understand the need for incentives. So there's <laughs> So yeah, I mean, the whole goal here is a lot of people think you're going to bring your own node and run that and everyone's going to be decentralized. Everything's going to be fine. It's the same philosophy with the lightning network. It's the same philosophy with 99.9. .9. I call it the unincentivized bring your own node package. It's a very easy um, duct tape slap over a crack type fix 
but it is not a long-term sustainable solution because that always ends up in the hands of the billionaires or the people who have um, the resources and capability to actually run this infrastructure. You need to be able to incentivize infrastructure on the micropayment level. And that is one thing that Hive is light years ahead of when it comes to capability versus things like Ethereum who are still trying to find a layer two transaction uh, or a layer two transaction layer. Um, they don't even have their transactions for micropayments. And if you don't have micropayments, you can't have um, an incentive layer. You can't have an incentive layer if it costs five, ten dollars to send a transaction. You can't have an incentive layer if it's centralized. So that was the the challenge to actually create a decentralized censorship resistant micro payment incentive layer so everyone big and small can participate and um matt just jump in anytime you're you're good i'm just going over the basics of um the incentive layer that's that's the whole goal of the speed network too we saw the issue if you look at ethereum you look at um the centralized infrastructure that is propping everything up the same with most chains out there. And I don't say this as an attack. I say this as an observer. I say this as a concerned witness. I'm not um, trying to, oh, well, Hive is, all, is the end-all, be-all. I'm just saying that Hive actually has the capability to incentivize micropayments. And that's why we're leveraging Hive to build a layer two to then use the tentacles to incentivize CDN nodes, storage nodes, um, nodes of all kinds that's just the first start and then the idea is hey we can literally have community run infrastructure and the the big end goal i see one day is you have a tokenized community and it's prestigious and you want to be a part of it well in order to be a part of it you have to be storing at least x percent or a very small percentage of that community's data whether it's videos images who knows right but in order to be on, you actually have to open up your hard drive and be a part of it and share. And then you'll get an NFT, a badge. Say, hey, look, this person contributes. Look at how much they contribute. Oh, Johnny over here, look at how much he's contributing. This guy is really helping the ecosystem. He's awesome. Everyone likes Johnny. And now you have this positive feedback system where it's like, hey, yeah, I want to be an infrastructure provider. I'm earning social capital. I'm earning tokens. I'm a part of this community. And we're all doing it together. We're not relying on Google or OpenSea or Infra or any of these centralized entities. We are the entity. And if you attack one of us, it's like chopping off a piece of a blob. It just grows back and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's sort of the the end goal, but the the basic is the micropayments to these node systems. The end goal is the giving tools to these communities to effectively encapsulate the social value of, of of contribution. Because at the end of the day, it's not soulless. If you're storing some of your favorite content creators' data and you're providing them value, you want the world to see that. But you don't want to go around telling everybody because that's not cool. But if you just had a little badge on your sleeve that you couldn't help, it just appears there, right? I'm cool. I'm on Crypto Maniacs podcast. I didn't have to ask for that badge, but people go to my profile. They can see it. It's like, oh, that's cool. I don't have to go tell everybody I'm on the Crypto Maniacs podcast before. They can just go see it on my profile. It's the same concept here. And um, that's how I think we get around the, the incentive layer and defeat all of these centralized infrastructure providers. There's one thing you've spoken about in your videos on CTT broadcasts. Uh, you've written about it over the years. And 
this is the idea of venture capital money and anybody who follows venture capitalists and technology knows that ultimately you get a uh, conflict between uh, the venture capitalists and the users because at some point the VCs want to be paid. Now, one of the things that you guys have gone out and done is you went and submitted a uh, proposal to the decentralized high fund and you were funded from that proposal or or fund the proposal was funded so now you can make the case that not only are you developing a, a infrastructure system that is decentralized this was not put together by vc money and, and either matt or dan matt if you're back would you comment how important that was to the overall vision that you guys are trying to bring and the overall example that you're trying to bring that, you know what, we can do this stuff if we plan on it. You know, we're not taking a founder stake. In fact, we're not even funding it. We're not looking for VC money. We're going to a decentralized community and having their funded. How important is that for the overall vision of your, your, you know, your, your goals here? You back, Matt? Or are you frozen? He's like Stone Cold statue. Um, to <laughs> not have VC money is um absolutely pivotal. The reason being is this isn't an investment. That's the thing. You can make money off of it, and you can treat it as an investment, but it's not. This is a new way of doing things. This is a way of actually not having to rely on venture capitalists and the more you study and realize it the more you realize well you can't have it with venture capitalists you can't just say hey i'm going to give you a billion dollars go create a doubt you can't do it it's the one thing in life that really you can't replicate with money money actually hurts it because the whole point of web3 was being sustainable having a fund raised by the community that's what all you know if you look at the dexes you look at all these DAOs, and you look at all these ways you know all the brightest minds from dan larimer to vitalik they're all trying to solve this community funding how do we become self-reliant because ultimately if you rely on a venture capitalist they are god because when they leave everything crumbles because the community was not strong enough to support the infrastructure they weren't strong enough to absorb the exit liquidity. Um, or they, you know, the, the pre-mine gets in the hands of government officials and it becomes PayPal 2.0, um, a bank 2.0 sort of scheme. But it's not it's not Web3 anymore. Now, whether those are going to be good investments or not, I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe they are. You know, I I found that something that's going to actually be that Bitcoin, but for Web3. Because Bitcoin's great store of value. Okay, cool. It's like it's like a pet rock, that's very valuable, right? Um, <laughs> it, it, it got its one trick pony, which means it's amazing because it got deemed store value, which is like a godsend, right? Because you really don't have to do anything after that. It's like oh, store value. You just buy it and hodl it, and that's its that's what it does. It's like okay, cool. But you know, you're not building apps on top of Bitcoin. Lightning Network has proven that you really you can't do this, and it's not desirable. So we needed that non-VC funded project, Hive being the first base layer. The layer two should follow because it really doesn't make much sense to have the censorship resistant base layer than to build sensor or centralized points of failure on top of that. It makes sense for a lot of things if you have a business and all that. And 
that's perfectly fine. But if you actually want to extend the, the censorship resistant properties of Hive, you can't have a VC there. Um, the VC is going to want to collect. The VC is going to have power over the ecosystem. And it's this chicken and an egg that Vitalik always talks about. Well, how do you get the technology built if you don't have a VC? You know, who, Who's going to pay the developers? And um, I believe... That's why it's sort of I always looked at Hive as like this fire out of nothing. And it's like we must protect it at all costs because with this fire, we can grow it. It's much easier to grow a fire that exists than to start one from nothing. And the and we and what I mean by that is we were able to tap into a DAO via a community on Hive without having to go to venture capitalists. We had that fire. We just need to stick a stick in it. And now we are a part of this ecosystem. Right, that fire had to exist though, and that was the community fork, everything that happened with Justin Sun, but that was what poofed it. So we're in this very rare circumstance where we actually have access to funding via the community, which is rare. It just isn't out there in a true sense. Uh, because normally you're getting it from some pre-mined venture capitalist fund, which is them paying you, not a community, and eventually the they're gonna want their money back. And <laughs> um 10x later, they're going to dump on you and leave. So, you know, it's uh, it's absolutely critical to prove that you could pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and be sustainable or this all for nothing. Yeah, it, it, I view it. It's a slower route because obviously things can be shortcut if somebody's coming in with, you know, 35, 50, 100 million dollars or whatever these VCs are throwing around. And the last number I, I read is there's been about 35 billion in VC money that's come into you know, the crypto realm and, and all of that. So you're going to have a lot of applications out there that get built out. But as you just said, <clears throat> there there's that big elephant in the room at some point in time that they're, they're going to say, we want our money. And if I'm not mistaken, just watching what you and Matt have done with the different projects, it's like, Dan, you have to go into it from the start with this mindset. And uh, crypto mom, uh, Pierce, Hester Pierce, has said she proposed at the SEC, well, why don't we give like a three-year window where uh, entities can decentralize? Um, and, you know, it, it, it certainly is a valid proposal. The, the challenge I see is it's not very realistic. If anything, over time, you know, something that starts centralized is only going to get more centralized over the three or five years. It, it's and maybe I'm mistaken, uh, but I'd like your opinion that is this something you have to go in with the mindset that we're going to decentralize from the get go or else it's done? Um, OK, uh, everything they say starts out, quote unquote, centralized. There's a birth. But it's, it's where you let it go. Do you let it go on a decentralized path or a centralized path? Because there is a first step, and that first step makes all the difference. And I equate it to this. That's like saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a baby tiger that doesn't know anything. We're going to raise it in a zoo so it can be ready for the wild. That's what you're saying if you're saying, hey, I'm going to decentralize later. It's like, well, no, you're, you're not. You won't survive. Um, first of all, power corrupts. And if you have any kind of power over a giant network, you become Frodo with that ring on the mountain, right? It becomes very difficult to let it go. Secondly, how do you do it? You know, that's the thing that people, it can be very frustrating because people don't understand what decentralization means, um, what the road to censorship resistance. 
you can't just snap your fingers and say, I promise you I'm going to decentralize. That's a lie. No one can say that. Just as say, just as I can't say, I promise Hive will be decentralized in 10 years. So I promise Bitcoin will be decentralized in 10 years. This is something that is constantly being fought for and curated and culminated and taken care of and nurtured. And it can change on a whim at any time. It's the most difficult thing in the world to do because you can't buy it. You can't snap your fingers into you know, you can't just say, okay, community, you're going to be decentralized. I'm forcing you to be. It's like, well, then you're it's centralized. You can't do that. It has to be voluntary. It has to come of its own. So to it's incredibly naive. I, I know the heart's in the right place. But to say, oh, we'll give them three years to decentralize as if it's some light switch you flip on. Like you can param you can you can parameter censorship resistance and decentralization within the code, but you can't guarantee it. You can't enforce it. Um, I believe there's only two decentralized platforms out there, Bitcoin, which is relatively useless in Web3 outside of being very valuable, a store of value. That's that's very important, obviously, but in terms of apps. And then you have Hive. Outside of that, you have to watch and wait and see what, what comes out. And the hardest part is they're not the ones advertising. They're not the ones you're going to actually see in front of your face. You have to dig and study and research and a lot of these things that haven't had a critical test, you can say, oh, well, the distribution looks good and <clears throat> they don't have any VC funding and, you know, they parametered it. So where exchanges can't be validators, they're doing everything right, but they haven't been attacked. What would happen if they got attacked? Is the community really strong enough? We don't know. Um, there's a lot of unknowns out there when it comes to is it actually censorship resistant? So. Yeah, I just I just kind of have to laugh um, when I hear that. Yeah, you'll decentralize in three. Like you're like you're baking a cake, right? Yeah, you just put it in, you put the ingredients, put it in the oven, and it's done. The bell rings, and boom, you got your product. It's as easy as that. So, yeah. Well, you you mentioned something on one of the CTTs that I found very interesting in framing the entire conversation in a different way. And, and it's one thing to stand up to the Facebooks of the world and and Twitters and and you know go around that and set up decentralized social media and, and things of that nature. But I believe it was obviously it was uh, Cardano you were talking about it and Hoskinson and you made the comment. Let's see him stand up to the fire when all of a sudden one of the alphabet uh, agencies from the U.S. government knocks on its door because Russians are using his network to avoid sanctions. And that's a real eye opener, because when you start talking about censorship resistant, effectively, you're also talking about financially controlling resistance, if you will. I mean, it, it's we talk about freedom of speech, but there's also freedom of, of, of money, freedom of capital. And how does a Hoskinson stand up to that if all of a sudden the FBI or Homeland Security or somebody comes knocking on his door and says, uh, listen, this Cardano network that, that you have running um, in this software that you wrote that, you know, we have sanctions and, and they're, it's being used to evade them. That's a lot of heat that you better be treat decentralized if you want to avoid going away in handcuffs. Yeah, I mean, it's, if it can be attacked, it will be attacked. These networks aren't big enough. They're not taken seriously enough to actually be points of failure yet. But as crypto grows and as fiat becomes more and more like toilet paper, except for a, a basket, 
Um, most countries are not going to have national fiats of their own name where they're going to latch on either the dollar or whatever. Take your side, West versus East. And then, you know, you're going to have Bitcoin and neutral currencies. Um, and, you know, what I what I really do see is you're going to have countries come out and say, hey, we're we're backing Cardano. We're adding that to the reserve. We're going to add some um, Solana. Right. And um, these countries don't know any better. They have no fucking idea what's going on. But what that's going to do is put these cryptos on the world stage as mass liquidity. Now they're taken seriously. Now they're going to be dissected. And who is using your network? What are they using it for? That's when this is no longer a game. These people, we live in the wild, wild west. The music eventually stops. And this whole game is about control. And they control everything. We're just trying to be that counterbalance to create a little bit of, of, of something where it's like, hey, there's no centralized point of failure here. But these founders are in for a very, very rude awakening. And it's a nightmare because they started it and they can't stop it. They can't say, okay, I want to decentralize now. I want to dump my coin. I want to, I want to decentralize, right? Um, you can't do that. So you sort of have to, you know, with, with life, if you want something, you have to sort of take what comes with it. They wanted the fame. They wanted the money. They wanted the notoriety. All right, now you have to take having a, payment network that you can't censor if you do it destroys the value of, of everything you have um, if you don't you might end up in handcuffs so you have some very very horrible options coming up if you are a centralized point of failure on a value transfer i mean imagine this these, these aren't these aren't chuck e cheese tokens these people are moving money across your network terrorist illegal like if that starts to happen in a big way, how are you going to stand up to the heat? You think the Justin the Sun attack was something? These, these governments will make that look like child's play. <laughs> something something you, uh, Matt, actually mentioned, and you kind of went over it, but I, I, I want to kind of switch it up a little bit and get your opinion on this because this is um, this is obviously the buzzword in, in crypto. And Matt mentioned true Web3 true web three because we hear that term thrown around all the time i mean it's the buzzword it's with all the elon musk and the twitter stuff with with jack from twitter is talking about like this seems to be the thing web three web three web three i've seen the example you said where literally the vc has gone and the platforms have crashed i've seen this not only in the crypto space but also traditional social media if you if if you could sum it up, what would be your definition of true Web three and how close? You know, obviously we're all fanboys of Hive, but how close do you think that Hive is the true solution for this compared to what everyone else is talking about out there? Um, yeah, true Web three Hive would be a very good example. Of course, there's no perfect um, solution. You can always become more censorship resistant. However. The whole goal here is to, A, not rely on centralized funding. That's absolutely key. I have a weird quorum. Um, I say as long as you don't have an entity that holds custodial funds as a validator on your chain, that's Web3. That's, so that's more of a technological parameter. It's not so much of a, as of a community thing, but it's something you absolutely have to have. So as long as you're not relying on centralized funding, you have community-run validators and you have a, a good token distribution, not just now, but going into the future. That's why proof of brain is really good. You have the DAO um, to sort of offset the witness pay 
people can accumulate tokens and um, not have to, you know, be a technical technological infrastructure provider. I've always thought that was a great thing for proof of brain. So those are the, those are the really the three things that you really have to to worry about because, you know, I don't believe Web three is on proof of work. Um, of course, you have Bitcoin. I don't think proof of work really aligns. I think coin voting is sort of the pill you have to swallow and you have to parameter it as much as possible. What are parameters? The three month lockup, the one month delay in governance voting. This is taking coin voting and forcing parameters to make it more censorship resistant because without those parameters, it's it's centralized. It's going to lead to centralization every time. Proof of stake, plain Jane proof of stake is probably the worst consensus mechanism on earth. It leads to centralization every single time. Right. Um, but as you start to get coin voting with parameters, I think that that is, you know, so I guess it's not really a, a sexy answer, but those would be the three. Um, if you have those going for you, no VC funding, no community run validators, good token distribution on a coin voting system, you have some censorship resistance there. Um, and that at the end of the day, censorship resistance is, I guess that could have saved a lot of time. Censorship resistance is, is Web3. If you're censorship resistant, you can be sustainable, then you are Web3. Yeah, to, to me, I, I think, and it extends on the point that, that you're talking about, Dan. I, I think it very simply, to me, starts with the data. Is the data distributed? Is it decentralized? And, and on Hive, uh, you know, you can get into the argument, is it enough nodes? Is it too many nodes? I mean, that's a different debate. But there is no doubt there's over 100 different nodes, witness nodes, that all have the data on these different computers, and they're spread all over the world. So there is no centralized database that is controlled by a Facebook, a Twitter, a Google. It, it's controlled by, I mean, you have the you guys have a witness node, John and, and CTP have a witness node, Leo Finance has a witness node, Block Trades, and it all has the same data, but it's all controlled by different entities. So to me, that is a pillar in the Web3 is where is this data being stored in, and who has it? And, you know, just tokenizing a Web2 application, and, and I think you were saying that in a roundabout way, uh, tokenizing a Web2 application doesn't make it Web3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the first questions you want to ask is um, about the token distribution and where the data is being stored, how it's being stored. Um, Hive, it's incentivized via the inflation. So we know that, you know, someone's going to be there to store that data being voted in. Um, a lot of people actually don't store the text on chain. So there's a big problem there. Um, that's where you get into the, the layer two applications, which I think is a very terrible idea. I think text is the most important thing that has to be on a layer one. But yeah, you're, um, you're absolutely right. It's um, who's holding the data. Um, as long as that's distributed and there's no door you can knock on, take it down. That, that would be web three. And this leads into something interesting. And, and again, as I said before, you guys have talked a, a lot about uh, censorship resistance in, in line with the freedom of speech. And, you know, now we obviously have this issue being pushed push forth by Elon Musk, who I think we all agree, you know, no matter even if his intentions are noble, which who knows if they are. Um, that isn't the, the solution. It's still uh, under the thumb of, of a, a company. But when we look at the financial aspect of things, and 
since you guys were on the, the last time, and by the way, to everybody who's listening, we lost Matt. Evidently, he's had internet connection, so uh, Matt kind of just disappeared. But um, high back dollar is really becoming very interesting. You mentioned it as it's going to be the payment token for Ragnarok. Uh, we see stable coins getting a lot of attention. On a good note, because of their uh, value and the ability that they have to provide payment services and resources that are needed. On the bad side is obviously regulations and the bureaucrats and politicians and governments and everybody else is stepping up and opining about them. And looking at the high back dollar, which is built on the, the high blockchain, we have a in my opinion, we have a token that they can regulate all they want. Uh, this really means nothing to it because it's like, okay, how are you going to stop it? Do you see that the same way as I do? Or is there something maybe that perhaps I'm missing? No, I think um, there's another hat trick that I've got right with the Algo stablecoin backed by essentially air. Um, yeah, it's Hive, but it's not connected to anything in the physical realm. It has no jurisdiction. That's why fiat, it might be a digit in a number or it might be a digit in a computer, but it still has ties to the physical realm and they can control that and they will control that. So, yeah, I think every community needs some form of a stable payment mechanism within. Hive goes up and down. But if you like, what's the point of having fast feeless payments if you have to worry about volatility? That takes mm -hmm. away the fast that the feeless because you might be paying a fee, a bigger fee than you really wanted to. Um, so it's absolutely critical to have a stable form of payment here. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of every ecosystem creating their own. I think Hive had to simply because there was nothing else out there. I still believe that to this day, there isn't another algo coin like Hive that is truly censorship resistant. It needs a little bit more liquidity, but we had the hard part. The hardest part was actually getting it born and being censorship resistant and not having to VC funding. Um, a little bit more liquidity and you have a very, very powerful force. And what this happens is, you know, now you can start creating jobs and economies under hive where people can pay workers and people can start creating businesses, things you couldn't do if HBD didn't exist because you'd have to rely on die or some other centralized coin that inevitably is going to need KYC and all of that jazz. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's really, really good to have HBD fast feeless. It's, I mean, it's it's a, still a novel in, in the entire ecosystem. It's just been overlooked. If we can tangent, uh, maybe for those listening who, who don't know, because I believe you researched it, and, and if you didn't, that's fine. But could you do a quick comparison between HBD, high back dollar, and UST? Because UST obviously is the algo that's getting a lot of publicity, and it obviously shot up uh, on uh, Luna and what is the difference and what do you think the advantages to HBD are over UST? Yeah, UST was born from a, a pre-mined token called Luna, um, VC-backed. They have a treasury offering inflation, or not inflation, offering um, APR if you hold UST that comes out of a centralized fund. So if you, you, you heard, I've already said centralized a couple of times, that's going to be the biggest failure um, it's good if they get in cahoots with some government 
and they become a payment mechanism and they, you know, they have a lot of liquidity so they can offer some of these APRs and that's fine. That's what the route you want to go. But high is really, it's trying to act like gold, but in the virtual realm, like you have gold, it's, it's, it's yours. It's not, you know, it's not like, um, owned by some it's god created right it's the same thing like when you have hbd out there it's like well if you you can kyc with it if you want or you don't have to but you might get in trouble if you don't hbd doesn't get in trouble it doesn't care HBD is a thing it just exists you can use it or you don't use it that's not what ust is ust is going to come with certain stipulations it's banking 2.0 what ust is so yeah i really like what they're doing in terms of um, bringing publicity to the algo stable market because a lot of people thought, you know, they shied away from it. They're like, oh, no, it has to be backed by fiat or it's not a real stable coin. So the one thing they did was they, they you know, kind of opened everyone's eyes and saying, hey, you know, maybe we can get creative here. We actually don't have to back it with, with fiat. You can actually back it by an underlining asset that's digital. And um, so, yeah, we're starting, we're starting to see a bastardized form of algo stable coins out there. Um, I think it's going to serve Hive well when people come around and research, you know, oh, wow, they actually have a serious algo stable coin here. And that's going to be the emphasis in a few years. People are going to start to understand pre-mine and, and what's controllable and whatnot. And I believe that's where Hive's really going to stand out when people do their research. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because uh, this leads into uh, what I want to ask you. And forgive me, I, I forget the, I think the name of your guest uh, on the last CTT was Raul. Um, but you had a, a show last Thursday uh, about no limit coin. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is another thing that I guess is right up your alley being, being a, a poker player. So I imagine you have a little bit of familiarity with online gaming platforms and and some of the struggles that they've gone through, as you've stated on a number of occasions, uh, due to your, we'll say your profession of of gaming, you picked up and left the United States after they became a little onerous to uh, your ability to to earn a living. And one of the things that was very interesting, and and too bad Matt's not here because I I give him kudos. He did a wonderful job, a a wonderful sales job during that that show. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things the the CEO said is that he is now going to, because of the fast and feeless nature of HBD, because of the distributed or decentralized nature of HBD, obviously you're well aware in the gaming realm, regulatory uh, point, points of vulnerability are a serious issue. Even though it's legal, banking tends to to avoid it. So what is No Limit Coin? And the fact that the CEO said that he's looking at, it won't be the only stable coin on the platform, but that's what he's going to kind of push in the future because he, he kind of saw the benefits of that. Maybe if you could talk a little bit about No Limit Coin and what the gaming industry faces and why HBD is a good solution for. Yeah. Great. The gaming industry is very ripe for web three. The payment processors all take way too much. Um, It's very difficult to get into certain countries just because of how do you deposit? A lot of countries don't accept visa. There's all kinds of red tape. So, you know, what, what they saw there over no limit coin was a way to bring gambling 
into Web3 using tokens. And instead of, you know, going the route of trying to create their own stable coin, they're saying, hey, you know, we're just going to have NLC power on the background. NLC is their, their native t- um, token for their, their ecosystem. And then we're going to use stables, you know, to gamble because people want to get, you know, they want to play poker. They want to play best. They want to use stable coins. And, and that's good. Um, one of the things that's going to shut, you know, the, the sales pitch, it sold itself, right? You said, oh, wow, they're offering 20%. It's fast, fee-less. You know, you might have to pay fees with the U.S., you know, U.S. DAI or, you know, um, USDT. All of these other stable coins, they either come with fees or they're, they're centralized and he's going to run into some kind of legality issues down the road. Whereas, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about Bitcoin. You know, if you're accepting Bitcoin there, not a big deal. You don't have to worry about, oh, you know, is, what, what's the SEC going to do? Is Bitcoin going to go down? Is it going to be some kind of scandal? Um, as you have to do with these pre-mines, right? They could blow up. It could really hurt your customer base if they're holding some of this token because of you and, and ends up being some kind of legal issue. So I think just the fact that fast and fearless cannot be understated. Like that's, that's always been a goal. That's one of the things that Ethereum has been forked a million times so they can make the fees lower. Um, having lower traffic doesn't necessarily, that's not, that's not necessarily a cure-all, obviously. Um, Hive has been having a high traffic, yet keeping the feeless nature. So I see more and more of these big gambling and, or any institution wanting to hold HBD, giving you that native 20%, being fast and feeless, having the named wallets. Um, that all goes a very long way for ease of access, especially when you're talking mass adoption. People have their own named account. It's like a little bank account that they have, and they don't have to remember these long strings. Oh, I'm just going to send it to my friend. I know their username. It's very easy. Um, so, yeah, I think No Limit Coin is just one of the the many that can keep signing up and getting HBD into their ecosystems. This is one of the Trojan horses for HBD to become liquid, is to get merchants accepting it, offering that high interest that we're we're giving, and taking advantage of that for their customers. Maybe they take a small cut. But either way, um, that's what UST did. They're actually going to have to keep gradually lowering it because they're doing it in a centralized way. We're going to lower it as it gets bigger just to become sustainable. But right now, it's a it's a really golden opportunity still because people haven't solved that payment mechanism like Hive has. So I, I see more people like No Limit Coin stepping up and, you know, why not? Well, and, and this brings up a major point, and you've said it a number of times, uh, Payment, payment, payment. And what happens, I think, in our discussions on Hive about this, and, and here's my quick question to you. Of all those HBD that ends up on uh, No Limit Coin, how many of them do you think will be used to be converted to Hive? Um, I would say very little. Because they Zero, probably want to probably. keep it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who, who's going to know that? And and see, this is, I think, the problem with the discussion that I run into people. People are always saying the, the, the vulnerability of having this HBD, it could be converted to high. And that is true. But if you start making a payment system and all of a sudden no limit coin has a million HBD on it, yes, it's freely floating. Yes, it potentially could be uh, moved and, and converted to hive. But that's like saying the U.S. dollar, all of it's going to be just put into a bank account, and a savings account, and earn 0.05% a year. Um, people use U.S. dollars for many, many different things. And 
when you start getting these payment systems and merchants start taking it and platforms start integrating it, then the idea of, well, we just take our HBD, we put it in savings, we earn 20%, that gets diluted because there's people who are saying, we're actually using this. And then you went the extra step of saying, now we can develop economy because you start to pay your developers, you start to pay your hosting costs, you start to pay your gardener, you start to pay all these different things. You know, maybe you don't get into the, the physical world, but you certainly could if 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 it got big enough. And that's where you really have the change for HBD. Yeah, I mean, merchants are going to have to keep a pool. And I wouldn't be, you know, once it becomes super liquid, I wouldn't... You know, if I'm a merchant, I have a hand, basket full of stable coins and I have one yielding 20 and the rest aren't yielding shit. I'd probably convert all my stables to HBD and just pay out those and convert it back as people wanted to cash out the other stables. Because why wouldn't I be harvesting it with 20 percent interest or even 10, 15 percent interest? Um, so I think that that is one of the really strong use cases here. And more merchants that accept it, the more that's just going to be hoarded. It's sort of like Tether, right? Tether knew that people knew they couldn't redeem it, but they still hodled it because they needed a stable. They needed something to, to keep their bank account stable. It's the same thing here. People are going to hold HBD because there's always going to be risk off people. You just have to have those risk off people willing to hold your coin. And once they do, they hold it forever because it's risk off. It's like money to them. They say, okay, yeah, I'm always going to have 30% of my portfolio and, and risk off. And then if you get enough of those people, um, it's self-fulfilling prophecy. This becomes... Yeah, if people don't realize how much bigger the fixed income market is globally as opposed to equities. And very few people, not very few, but the majority of the money out there is not spec money. It, it is risk off. It's long term built. It, it's bonds. It's things of that nature of give me give me the yield. And what's interesting about this, just going back to no limit coin after listening to your show last week and giving some thinking about it, and I actually wrote a, a, an article about this. He, here's the situation. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on how the platform sets it up and, and how they accept the token and how the HBD is integrated into, into their uh, platform from a, a technical side. But you've mentioned a number of times the 20% return. Well, you could. this is where innovation comes in. Because what they could do is, like you said, they could take a cut. And, and, and why would a, a player want to accept, let's say, 17% return when they could just stake it on, on high for 20%? Well, let's say, for example, No Limit Coin decides to pay out 22%. Well, how do they do that? Well, they pay out 17% in HBD, and then they pay out 5% in, in their No Limit Coin. So they're actually using some of their coin to give a better return than one would actually get on Hive. Or you could build in, and I don't know the gaming world, but let's say you have advanced subscriptions or you get more features. So you get a 17% ROI instead of 20 and the platform takes 3%, but they make up for that 3% because they give you... Um, you know, additional gambling rights, or they give you access to an area that most people don't get into, or they allow you to raise your limit uh, 25% or whatever the case may be, they could build in and use a little ingenuity to say, hey, we are going to give you value added services. And in, in return, we collect 3% of all the HBD that's on our platform. But over time, that could be a major funding mechanism for them. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the creative way people can imagine you just deposit a coin that's stable and you get all these perks. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to deposit this one and not the other one. Because um, most people aren't even going to understand the inflation. They're not going to understand any of this stuff. They're just going to be like, hey, I'm here to play some games. What is this token offering? You know, it's offering all kinds of, you know, giving me kickback. Because that's they're not going to look at it interest. They're going to be like, oh, this is offering me kickbacks if I hold this token and I'll get free um entries into certain free rolls and tournaments and all this stuff and that's a way the the platforms can capitalize and and earn some of that interest for themselves um, hell they could even keep all of it and just offer you know premium access and all these things just for holding a stable coin you know, what do you do what do you get when you put your dollars in there you know you don't get anything um but if you you put this this coin in this version of a dollar in um you get premium access all kinds of free rolls and um yeah if they had a couple of million deposited doing that you know they're earning a nice stable income every year even at 10 percent. so am i correct in my thinking and logic just tells me this you kind of touched upon it but i i, I wanted to expand upon it I, I would imagine uh the view is probably across gamers in general but i i would figure that if you went to a platform and, and you could deposit bitcoin you don't want to deposit, let's say, five grand in Bitcoin. And so you open up your account, you, you, you throw five grand worth of Bitcoin in and you're busy for a couple of days with other things. So then you go back to gamble a couple of days later and you open up your account and you realize you got forty five hundred in there because the price of Bitcoin went down 10 percent. Now, naturally, the price of Bitcoin could go up 10 percent. You got fifty five hundred in there. So you're a happy camper. But I imagine you don't want to spec on that end of things. So you go and you say, okay, I'm going to put five grand in here to into my gaming account in the, on this particular platform, but I want it somewhat stable. So even if you pay in with Bitcoin, you want that to be quickly flipped to an HBD. So, you know, when you come back two days later, you're going to have five grand to play with. Is my thinking correct in that? Or are gamers going to be playing with Litecoin and Bitcoin and these volatile tokens that can be bouncing all over the place? No, they're going to want a stable source. You don't want to gamble onto on your bankroll. You have your bankroll and a lot of them, a lot of gamblers, they go by a set of, you know, I need a hundred big blinds or a hundred buy-ins. Um, so it's very calculated. So you're definitely going to want stables. So the fact that this no limit coin uh, is going to, how should we say, promote HBD as the stable coin of choice on the platform, uh, that could ultimately have a big impact since uh, anybody who's coming to that, that platform, no matter what they're bringing to the table, um, that's going to be converted almost instantly to, to a stable coin. Yeah, exactly. And that's the great thing about getting HBD in as many merchants' hands as possible because No Limit Coin, they're having a raise. They could blow up. And um, before you know it, we're we're on some viral platform. People are saying, oh, what's this HBD? Other competitors are going to want to get involved because like, oh, well, we can't, we don't want to come out of pocket. We need to get HBD as well so we can offer the same. Because that's really what it is. You You need one workhorse to show the world. And then they're like, well, we have to compete. And if we want to compete, we need these crypto stable coins that actually offer yield just for holding them. 
um, something you can't compete in the legacy fiat world. Like DraftKings can't compete with that. Um, sure, they could they could burn through millions of their their VC funded money and offer all kinds of incentives, but that's not sustainable if their growth declines at all. So you know this is actually sustainable because it's not, it's out of No Limit Coin's hands. They don't have anything to do with HBD. They're just reaping all the benefits. So that's just one of the edges that these Web3 platforms or, you know, companies that are coming in and building on top of Web3. That's what I like. Sure, you can have a centralized company behind a Web3 app. As long as it's not affecting the layer one coin voting, that's what my concern is. You can do whatever you want on the second layer. And I believe if you're a true Web3 app, your customer base needs to own their account. They need to own their crypto and they need to utilize you more of as a skin more of a, well, I want to plug my account and my money into this voluntarily because they offer a good product and service. Then you're a Web3 app, in my opinion. So I salute No Limit Coin. You know, they're pretty OG back 2016, actually. Um, and, you know, he's been in the gaming industry for, I think, better part of a decade before he even got into crypto. So it's just really good to see somebody with a savvy mind that understands gaming get it right away. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is going to give me an edge over my competitors. Yeah, and certainly doesn't hurt us on Hive since uh, that'll be potentially a lot of transactions. It'll be a destination for a lot of Hive. And ultimately, somebody's going to have to open up some accounts. Yep, ceramic accounts can't come quick enough. But um, I think Hive accounts are going to – one thing you can't get around, I think Hive accounts are going to be expensive. Um, that much you can do it, but if you want a premium, fully on-chain account, you know, right now you can get it for three hive. I don't know what that's going to cost in the future, but I know it's very valuable. So, yeah, all that you can do. Uh, ceramic accounts—that that is something that I, I wanted to, to touch upon with Matt until he he did his Houdini uh, act for us. Um, why don't I, this goes back to to Speak Network for those who aren't aware? What are uh, Dan? What are ceramic accounts, and how are they going to be integrated in? And how does this apply to Hive? Because it 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 side chains. It it's not a Hive account. It gives you some accessibility, but it doesn't give you total accessibility. Mm -hmm. So it's the very basic: bring your own node package, very lightweight. I'm not going to take up much data at all um, it's going to be built with an indexer that's offline or off-chain indexer so what this does is you can have off-chain posting with an off-chain account and then anyone like pd or hive blog can then import that indexer and you can have off-chain and on-chain data showing up on the front ends and this is for really a scaling mechanism for hive because i've seen this for a very long time you know the lol comments um, that just the, the thing, the unnecessary bloat, as I look at it, it's like, you know, these people want to communicate, they want to say, LOL, they want to put their emoji and why not, but we need to give them an off chain, something that, you know, not going to bloat the, the blockchain too much. And that was the idea for ceramic accounts. Also the light and easy, you know, sign up, no friction, no cost. You can plug your MetaMask, you can plug, um, Bitcoin, any of these other blockchains into it and seamlessly look at Hive as, so you have your ceramic account and then you look at Hive as, oh, well, I want to post on chain. Well, that's Hive. But I can also interact with Ethereum and all these other um, blockchains if I want to, um, if I so choose. But we really knew that Hive needs an off-chain 
counting system. You know, people hoping that Hive accounts become cheaper, I think, are going to be in for a rude awakening. I think this is a problem that needs to be solved now, not not later. So, you know, we just had to build something open source that anyone can tap into from Hive. And, you know, once you have a handful of apps using it, it becomes the go-to. The rest are sort of going to have to implement it or their user base are going to bitch. And that's sort of the idea here is just to give a quick, easy off-chain account. It's going to onboard MetaMask users. It's going to onboard all of the um, Web 2.5 users, so to speak, make it super easy to absorb them and then post on the Hive in an immutable way. So um, that's sort of the ceramic count in a nutshell. So if I'm following it along, uh, following along, I, I post an article on Hive. And I do it using my Hive account. And so I post it on Hive. The article's on there. And John is viewing the article through Peak D. And if Peak D uh, is utilizing this system, as John's going through the comments section, he is seeing because Peak D is simultaneously pulling from Hive and it's pulling from your side chain. So as John's going through the comment section, if I'm understanding it properly, he may see a comment by They Call Me Dan that was posted through Hive. Then he may see a comment from Fred that was posted and that's actually resident on the side chain and it was posted using a MetaMask wallet. And then he may see something that was mm -hmm. posted using just a ceramic account. And Am I understand that properly? So John will see all of that through the Peak D interface, but the Peak D interface is actually pulling the data from two different sources. Am, am I following? Exactly. As long as Peak D is running the indexer, yeah, all of those off-chain comments, and there's going to be on IPFS, will be visible through the front ends. Yeah. And that'll be cool because some users will be like, hey, how come they're earning money and I'm not? And then they'll have to mm -hmm. get a... We're going to refer to them as premium accounts, premium on-chain accounts. That's what Hive account is. Yeah, I've heard you mentioned, and and Matt has termed it Hive Light accounts, if you will, with the ceramic. It, it's kind of you get you get this, you can log in, you can you can comment on Hive-based posts, but you're not on Hive. You're 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 basically on IPFS, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, you're on the off-chain indexer system, which has the ceramic accounts built in. So as long as you're an app running this indexer system, you get the entire package. And everyone else running this indexer um, package will get the same results. So um, if Hiveblog is running the indexer, so is um, Peak D. The same content from offline is going to show up on both equally. So it's just a matter of getting apps to run the indexer, which is incredibly light. And I'm going to go out on a, a limb here, way far out on a limb, and hypothesize that three speak is probably going to run the indexer. Is that a safe bet? Yes. Um, we already have other. DBuzz is running one. They're going to be the, actually the premiere. Um, it's, it's already up and running there. They're just testing it. But, yeah, they'll be the first one to have this indexer system running with the light accounts. Um, so excited to see that. And, of course, it'll be on three speak. So that's two right there. I'm sure peak, you know, we'll get peak D, Hive blog, um, get a handful of others. And then before you know it, we'll have a standardized off because that's the one thing we've done guest accounts for a long time. Every app has, but you know, these guest accounts are native to three speak or these um, guest accounts are native to peak D or whatnot. And they don't, they don't mesh across apps and that's web two, not web three. 
So we need a standardized off-chain solution that anyone can tap into and it shows up across all the front ends. And this, that was the goal with, with ceramic accounts. But really, it's not just ceramic accounts, it's the, the indexer system as a whole. Now, and I, I guess I'm trying to figure out who's who's doing the development because ceramic isn't you guys. You're just incorporating ceramic into what into your infrastructure. Uh, and you say DBuzz is, is in testing right now. H how close would you uh, guesstimate this is to be in a reality to, to rolling out? Um, so the lead dev is Voltec behind this. Um, we actually forked the ceramic code base oh, to, okay. modify it, to modify it to the, well, at first we were working with them, but they didn't have, um, I guess you can, I wouldn't say a different vision, but they were focused on other things. And we had to, you know, there were a few code changes that needed to be done at the core level. So it's just easier to fork it. And um, right now it is, as far as I'm done, it's, as far as I know, it's already completed. It's just being tested. Um, so rollout is imminent. The ceramic indexer system is complete. It's um, just waiting to be displayed on DBuzz. Um, but yeah, I get, um, I would say we should be able to see it yeah, this month. Why not? Um, I'm not the coder, obviously. So I don't <laughs> want to put, put anybody's um, ass to the fire. But yeah, from from my last understanding, it's it's ready to go. I, I think that's one of the most powerful marketing tools Hive could ever have. Because um, what you said is bang on. People are going to start the conversation. How come this account is getting money? Mm-hmm bunny ears right how come this account is getting upvotes and this is the worth real crypto what how why why how can i get in on that and then the conversation just goes from there and bang there's your onboarding um that's that's powerful as hell so. yep be able to onboard a million people overnight without stressing the chain and these pe million people can then get their hive account at their own leisure but at least it's i, I it's like if you're waiting out outside of a club and you really want to get in and it's raining outside, well, you're not going to have a long line for long. You need to make it comfortable for the wait. And that's what a ceramic account is. It makes it a comfortable wait because inevitably people are going to get a hive account. That's at least what we envision. Yeah, that's, that's fun. And this is very interesting. If, if those listening follow along with this thought process and, there's another aspect to the the speak network that we haven't touched upon, although you you did mention it, um, and it, it pertains to Hive itself. But one thing we have, just like we were talking about HBD and merchants and it going in these different directions and different use cases, Hive, the token, powered up, gives people governance so you can vote on uh, witnesses you can vote on proposals. Hive also powered up gives you influence over the reward pool because you get voting power and anything you vote that that helps to distribute the rewards out of the reward pool. But another thing Hive powered up, which we'll see how it changes with the next hard fork since that's coded in there. But one thing Hive gives you is accessibility to the blockchain, Hive power gives you accessibility to the blockchain through resource credits or actually through mana. And there will be resource credit delegation coming up uh, in the next hard fork, which will certainly help out a lot of these applications. But what you're describing there, number one, is it puts, like you said, if you sign up a million ceramic accounts and let's say 
I don't know, 5% of them decide they want a Hive account. Well, now you're looking at 50,000 Hive accounts that all require some amount of Hive power to engage in the blockchain. And the reason why people are one getting a Hive account to begin with is they want to engage in the blockchain in some way, shape, or form, whether it's for the rewards or whether it's for the HBD, because that's another thing we mentioned. Any of these people on No Limit Coin who get HBD, they're going to need a little high power to be able to interact, because even though it's fee-less, that is possible because of the high power. So now, and where I'm going with this is, Everybody likes to look at the price and, and determine, well, that's a reflection on a project. Well, Hive right now is looking at a potential demand on it for the reasons I just mentioned. And so by you guys adding the ceramic uh, accounts and basically onboarding people in a light manner, then taking a percentage of them, moving it over, is going to create some more demand for Hive. However, there's another piece of this puzzle that we haven't touched upon, and you guys really haven't mentioned on CTT in some point period of time, but I think it's very important. Would you explain the SIP and how that potentially over the next, if this takes off, oh, the, the Speak Network takes off over the next couple of years, how that could suck up a lot of the free Hive out there? Yeah, the SIP is in essence, trying to replace traditional venture capitalist funding. Um, the idea is to lock all of the value instead of burning it, which um, a lot of other projects do. Lock it into a DeFi pool where it then generates yield forever. And um, also while simultaneously adding liquidity to the underlying assets. So it makes the assets more liquid and also gives fees, which generally go to you know, they'll say, oh, well, it'll go to token holders. You know, I have um, Uniswap, for example. It's like, well, who are the token holders? Well, 70% are owned by the venture capitalists or pre-mined. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it goes to you guys. And then the trickle goes to the rest of the community. Um, this essence was to be voted on, right? So it's not just directly going into your pockets. There's going to be a pool, a DAO, and then you you vote on where these um, where the value is going to go. So it's it's just about creating a sustainable pool. Anything that goes in, if you buy a Larynx miner, if you buy, buy default ad rights, um, these things, instead of going into any one person's pocket or going directly to token holders, they're going to go into a locked DeFi pool. Essentially, if you think of if you anyone who's done yield farming, they'll say, oh, you need a um, you need LP tokens, right? Your liquidity pool tokens. That's when you pair two tokens together into a pool and then you put it into a DeFi pool where people could trade against it and then you earn trading fees. That's the, that's the general gist. Here, 100% of those fees are going into a, into a DAO where they'll be voted on and the LP token itself will actually be burned so it cannot be withdrawn. So you deposit it and then the actual LP token, which just represents a way to withdraw the token, will then be sent to null. So there'll be no way for these tokens to ever be with, um, taken out. And yeah, I think um, if there's, well, it's not, I think if there's a lot of demand for a decentralized side chain for storing videos, for off-chain data, for incentivization of infrastructure, and there's a lot of people buying miners and there's a specul speculation run on speak, you can definitely see 
large chunks of Hive being taken off the market. Um, you say, quote unquote, forever. Of course, there can be a run on the liquidity pools, but that could go both ways. So just for the, the sake of argument, we'll say, you know, it's locked away, taken off of the market. And the way we did it was for Max Payne. Max Payne meaning, you know, if there's speculation one day, well, there's an auction that day of larynx miners. So it rides the waves. You're not going to miss any gap if there's, you know, you don't want to be off when the speculation hits. And that was the idea with, you know, you've seen some of these ICOs raise massive amounts of money, mainly through the um, the daily yearly auction. You know, you look at Hex or um, EOS, for example, some of the raise massive amounts of money through that daily auction. Well, we thought, why not just do that forever? Every day, have an auction that resets every year. And it just goes on sucking up Hive every day, theoretically, for the rest of its life. And this is really to stress the point that you don't have to build sinks into the layer one. You can have Hive, it can be inflationary, and then you can build sinks on the layer twos. And if you're really wanting to make the layer one as robust as possible, it takes the the idea to say, hey, we're going to bring a value back to Hive. So instead of it being the native token to you know make a pre-mine, make ourselves rich, we want to reinforce the layer one, act as a sink, the same nature as Ragnarok. And there'll be a theme in every project I get going will to, in some form or fashion, take Hive off of the market forever. That's that's the ultimate goal here, to add as many sinks to Hive as possible. And you can do that through games, you can do that through side chains. Um, the SIP I just see being a powerful magnet, it's designed to, to soak up all the value if it's valued. So the question is, is there value there? If there is, it's not going to leave anything on the table. It's not designed to. Yeah, and I've I've heard you mention that, and you just did, that the, the, the proceeds, the fees generated will go into a DAO, which will be community uh, uh, voted on. But you've, you've mentioned before that this actually could be brought back to Hive if if everybody voted on it and the fees could be used, for example, to pay the witnesses and have the inflation adjusted to go another direction if the community decided on that. So you actually could take the proceeds from this SIP and use the revenue generated for other purposes on base layer infrastructure or speak network infrastructure or even if everybody decided, how about sending that to a proportion of it to high power holders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, inflation's um, sort of like the um, the teat, right? It's it's the what brings life at the beginning. I don't. I think it's the the, the fire starter. It gets things going, and then once you have a sustainable sip that is not generated through inflation, but actual fees, and it gets big enough, and you know that there's not going to be a rug pour exit into liquidity you know that that liquidity staying there you now have sustainable models where you can say hey we can actually start to rely on this inflation because we know it's not going anywhere and it's going it's actually going to keep getting bigger and bigger the more popular network gets you can definitely replace the inflation nature of hive even cap it momentarily i always like to have the switch inflation's it's like a safety net um, if if some for some reason something happens, you always have that inflation. You can print money, right? So that's very powerful. We don't want to eliminate that, but you know we do want to eliminate the need for it. It's always good to have a safety net. You don't want to need a safety net, 
Um, but it's there just in case. And that's what I feel with the inflation. I definitely see one of the goals being this SIP becoming so powerful that it actually backs the witness structure through its fees. And then we can lower inflation on Hive. And then you can start looking at Hive as more of a store of value um, as the inflation starts to get lower. Now people are like, oh, wow, it's, you know, it's low inflation, if not capped at times, digital real estate. Um, I actually have, you know, it's, it's like farmland. I actually have resource credits that regenerate and these things are valuable. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the way I look at the SIP. It's, it's basically to replace, replace inflation based VC based, um, anything that's reliant on either printing or centralized funding. That's what it's here to replace. Well, and I, I think it's interesting, you know, when we couple that with HBD, and, and really, I'm I'm starting to get in in my mind here. Hive kind of resembles, or you know, Hive and and other fungible tokens like it. They actually take on characteristics like stock. And, and when you think about it, if you look at the quote unquote, like you said earlier in the show. Everybody owns Hive, but nobody owns Hive. I mean, it, it, it's you have stake, and as long as you're holding the token, it gives you a, a certain influence on chain. And if you get rid of your high power uh, or your power down, you, you lose your influence. And so, you know, with the Hive and, and with all these other tokens, there's some volatility. There's the up and down. They, you know, right now, they, in my opinion, they, they mirror the tech stocks. And when risk is off, they get crushed. When risk is on, they run. Uh, and you mentioned the inflation and everybody looks at the inflation of Hive and they automatically assume they take that over to HBD. But HBD serves a different purpose. And HBD, especially when you start tying it into payment systems and start tying it into collateralization systems and start tying it into different things, now you end up with the situation of uh, the supply and demand for money. And, and where is the money equilibrium? And do you keep expanding the money supply to fund your growth? Because that's ultimately what funds growth. And that's where, where real wealth is generated by creating games and applications and building wind farms and making electric vehicles and sneakers and all that stuff, you know, products and services that are offered and delivered. Well, that takes money to generate that stuff. And I think one of the advantages that when people look and you we, we talked about Luna and uh, UST, but that was venture capital money. When you look at the correlation between HBD and Hive, what you're saying is exactly correct, because ultimately, if there is a need for more Hive, then the conversion mechanism of HBD can create more Hive. If there is not the market demand or the market need for more Hive, then there's no need to create it out of the HBD that's in operation. So we always have the community figuring out the money equilibrium based upon supply and demand. Yeah, I mean, having the risk on and risk off being a part of the same coin is very powerful because when you go risk off on Hive, it, power, it pumps Hive. When you um, go risk on Hive, obviously it pumps Hive, right? Because HBD being held is locking Hive out of circulation, and you know we saw that Luna proved that. When, you know we went through a bear market and it hit all-time high after all-time high because 
we were in a bear market and people wanted that UST. So in order to get UST, they had to buy Luna and then they converted to UST and now that Luna's off the market and the UST is just being hodled. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very powerful. Just need a little bit more liquidity um, from HBD. But I think that having our finger on the pulse, we obviously do as a community, we saw the opportunity and that, it's incredibly powerful to be able to raise to 20% as quickly as we did. It just shows how efficient we were. Um, so I think, you know, we're, our, our fingers on the pulse, we have a really great product. It's not going to take long before a few more no limit coins, a few more people come about saying, Oh, you know what do we got over here? Um, actually a great time for stable coins because of the conditions people are being more and more risk off right now. Um, just another great test for HBD. We got a, really hold that peg as, as hardcore as possible. I know Leo Finance is doing great work trying to bring more liquidity to that. Um, yeah, I just think that we need to start building more and more projects around HBD and get the desire for it up. I, I would agree with mm -hmm. you. I think that's, that's really the focus. Um, so we're not total uh, Hive Maxis and Hive fanboys here. Um, what would you say if you had to to point to some areas that are right now points of vulnerability, uh, issues with Hive, areas that you're not real happy with? I know you and I kind of agree one of the areas that I think deserves a lot of discussion is possibly somehow coming up with ways of directing more value to high power holders to incentivize people more to take their hive and power it up and, instead of just the ability to curate and the ability to get your 2.85 percent but maybe you know adding different mechanisms elsewhere in the ecosystem that generates money whether it be through an off-chain like the sip or whatever uh, what are some of the things, if you had a, a quick checklist of things that you, when you look at Hive, you step back and say, man, this isn't right. Obviously, you guys are, are approaching the onboarding with the ceramic accounts, but what are some areas that you just feel are kind of lacking right now with Hive? Um, so I would say from a fundamental point of view, I really like it. If I'm to take a step back and just put my investor hat on and I'm trying to say, okay, what, what's the next six months looking like? Um, Hive is very, very unattractive in terms of, okay, so I'm going to power it up. That's three month commitment. That's fucking insane. Can't unpower it out. Can't, you know, I can't unstake for a fee. I'm literally trapped. Um, so if we're, if we're just talking about Hive and powering up and staking it, um, which is ultimately what we want. We want a lot of people being able to do that. Hive is very unfriendly to the investor and liquidity providers all around. Right. Most coins, we learned this from Justin's son, want low staking, so exchanges become validators and stake. That's how you get in cahoots with these liquidity providers. The exchanges are the liquidity providers. And we just said F you to them. And it's like, there's no way you're going to become a validator. So we're incredibly unattractive. That's why, you know, you ask yourself, why aren't we on Coinbase? Why are we on all these things? Well, they look at us and it's like, oh, well, we can earn being a validator on these other chains, you know, ETH and Cosmo, whatever, right? And earn validator fees. And, you know, it's it's kind of like an income source. They don't distribute those to their customers. Um, so if you're looking at Hive, we really, it's like we are going to go the purest, most hardcore route. We are not going to bow to exchanges and make it easier for them. We're not going to make it easier for the whale VCs to get in and out. We, um, 
we're going to make you go uphill barefoot. Um, uphill, once you get there, it's, it's very nice. It's what you would call the promised land, censorship resistance and all that good stuff. But I would say one of the hardest things is we have not made it easy for money to get into Hive. Um, we, I wouldn't change that. Now, I think that's good. It's a good mm-hmm. thing because I wouldn't want exchanges being our validators. And I wouldn't want VC sloshing around and owning a large portion of the funds. But if you're if you're talking about what is a negative, that it that can't be conceived as a negative. And it is an, you know, it's it's a positive long term, it's a negative short term. And that's why I've always said that it's up to the the community. Because what happens is when it, distribution can get screwed in a bear market because people start selling, and then what you do is you usually have smart money accumulating and smart money is very few people and they're accumulating through all the bear market before you know it, they might have 10 15 percent of the supply because people just keep selling one of the things that protects hive so it's not really a negative is the proof of brain because we are constantly distributing these coins to new people it's not just yeah you might have people selling in a few buyers but you still have the offset and coin distribution is the holy grail here once that's compromised everything goes to shit so I would say we've definitely taken the hard route um, in terms of getting VC funding. Is you know, We're not on Coinbase. We aren't on any real big Western exchanges. Um, yeah, so I, you know, if, if that's a negative, it's a negative to some people, I would say that's, that's one thing that um, I've noticed. Um, but, yeah, from a other than that, from if you're just talking about from a game theory point of view, because what I do is I always compare high versus the market. I'll compare high versus itself next, right? Because we also it's like what's censorship resistance? Well, let's look around at what actually exists first, because theory is cool. You can write about it, but what's actually in practice is going to work. And then you say, oh, well, Hive's obviously in a league of its own, completely different. You can talk for hours about why and debate that, and you know, come out ahead. And then you start to say, okay, technologically it's different. You know, the fast, feeless nature, layer twos. So we, we are very, very different in a very good way. But in order to get that way, we had to compromise short-term gains, right? And um, we've noticed that, right? You see Luna, you see somebody, Tron, all these coins that are in cahoots with the exchanges, they always seem to have liquidity, always seem to have propped up market. And that's just the market makers of these exchanges, right? They want these coins to be high in price because they get validator fees. I mean, there's no you, you if you want to know how the world runs, go look at the incentives. These exchanges earn money from being validators on these chains. The higher the coin is, the more money these exchanges get. If they have millions and millions and millions of people depositing on proof of state networks, they're getting lots of money for that. And you know, that's one of their big business models. Yeah, trading fees, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they earned as much in, in validator rewards. So, you know, it's um, it's a it's a harsh reality out there. But what can we do? We could think of ways to maybe have an unstaking fee. Going back to your point about making Hive Power more lucrative, we'll raise that APR. And one way to do that is, hey, if you want to get out early, you pay ten percent, and that ten percent goes back to the Hive Power holders. You get out instantly. If Hive pumps two hundred percent, you're happy to take ten percent off, and all the Hive Power holders are happy to take your ten percent. Um, that's a way to not rely on inflation. I'm a I'm a big fan of hidden fees. Uh, I think that if you can have a fee that's not a deal breaker, you have to have it and have it go back to the community. That's how you reduce inflation. That's how you become sustainable. So, uh, you know, I really believe that I've been a proponent of the unstaking. 
fee for a very long time. I think over two or three years now. I think when I made my first post about it, um, I'm still a fan of it. So <laughs> I, I know Blockchains and um, a couple of other people have been talking about it. Howell, um, a couple of other members that were sort of on the fence before really didn't give an opinion or are, are starting to see some merit to it. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll see that get pushed through in the next hard fork. Um, I think that would be pretty game changer for liquidity. But uh, yeah, other than that, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a hive maxi. I call it how it is. Um, you know, I own a lot of Ethereum. I own a lot of Bitcoin. So you know, I'm pretty, pretty harsh on Ethereum, even though I'm fudding my own bags. But I'm just, you know, you, I call the same out on Hive, right? Um, you know, that, that's not something cool to say. Like, I'm not like me saying, oh, in the next six months, you know, um, or, or next year, it might not, you know, it, it's, it might be a little rough liquidity wise for Hives because we're not on these Western exchanges. These are real eye openers and these are real problems because liquidity is absolutely king. So I'm not quiet about these things. I want to bring them to the forefront so people understand that we do have real problems. Um, we're going, they're, they're, they're self inflicted in a good for good reason um you know there's no if you chase perfection you'll end up getting hell because there everything has a negative so if we want to be censorship resistance hello this these are the problems that that come along with it but i, I you know i i've always said i look at hive as a life raft or a boat and it's like okay there's about to be an earthquake no one knows when the earthquake's going to come it could come a week come a month come a year um but do I want to risk going out and having a latte or having a good time? You know, the boat will still be there. I'll come back. Or do I want to sit my ass on this boat because I know what the fuck's coming and not move? And that's how I've always felt with Hive. I always felt like I would never get out for short-term gains because you never know when one big site's going to say, hey, we're implementing Hive accounts. Welcome to Web3. And then and then the whole world awakens. That's a, that's a, I've always equated to a, it's a soccer ball and a, crowded room and we're just waiting for one kick and it's so close there's so many people wanting to recreate hive wanting to do this wanting to do that um it just takes one just actually saying hey what's this and then everyone's like holy shit what is that so that's you know it might be a little bit rough in the short term as it has been you know i, I said this six months ago and i think i said it six months ago before that the recipe isn't there for short-term liquidity but we have Hail Marys left and right. Um, it's just a matter of time before people actually understand it. And then people will say, hey, you know, we'll be on a Coinbase. We'll be on these Western exchanges. And then once that happens, we, we took the long route. We didn't take the shortcuts. And we still got the same benefit. And we retained our censorship resistance while doing it. So if we can do that, that's going to be a very beautiful thing. But we can't control what these Web2 exchanges are going to do. Because they really do control the liquidity. Task. I've got the headline for this podcast. Ready for this? Holy shit, what was that? <laughs> I love it. Cuz that's what I that's what I think too. I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to be one of those things. The, you know, it's going to be a big site that adds it and says, "Hey, we got hive accounts," and then it's going to be that reaction. Holy shit, what was that? And what is that? And how do I get involved in it? And I think one of the things, Dan, that strikes me is Hive is very slow going forward. And I think that's by design because we have so many central players. You, you mentioned block trades being one of them. These guys are very security conscious. And, and like you said, the, the pushback 
uh, a big topic of discussion has been the power down window. And and block trades, I know for certain, has been very emphatic that, hey, listen, this is a security mechanism. And 13 weeks may seem like a long time, and it is, but it protects the chain. And you you even look at how, you know, you said we, we moved up to 20%, and, and it's pretty impressive how we did it. But think about it. It took us a year to get there because we started at zero. Then we went to three. Then we went to seven. Then we went to, I think, 10, then 12, now to to 20%. So it's not like we dive into the deep end of the pool by, by pulling off our clothes and just jumping in naked. We are very methodical, which that in a lot of ways can slow the growth, can slow the process, can can make life a little bit more difficult and be frustrating to a lot of people. But I think you're right. Ultimately, we get to the same place. It may take us a little longer, but that's going to protect us from having the UST scenario where all of a sudden they, they realize, hey, what we're doing here isn't sustainable. We are so methodical that you know, and I've used this with HBD. I've written a number of articles because I've sat there and mapped it out. And to get to a billion tokens at our present number of HBD, that's free floating. It's going to take us 20 years just to get to a billion tokens. That's methodical in the, the stable coin world. And yeah, liquidity is going to be an issue, but we're not rushing anything. It's like, okay, yes, liquidity is an issue. It's, it's a cap. It's holding us our growth. It's slowing us down. But so be it, because we know we're not going to get to a point six months, a year, two years, three years from now, where this whole thing blows up because we do something stupid. Yeah, agreed. You can't rush it. And um, just another point: we aren't even on the dexes either. So we've definitely um, it's it's an honor to survive, not only survive, thrive, and host all the ecosystem that we have, and come all of this way. And it seems like. The industry has been the current against us, right? We haven't really been getting too much help from from outside. You know, it's not like a Coinbase is like, oh, a community fork. You know, you think they'd be all on that, um, but you know, it's a good thing, right? Because it's like we didn't grow up with any handouts. We've had to get it from the bottom, and we had to scrap and claw for everything we have. And everything you give us is like, you know, giving us a, a win to our sales. It's like you know, we we didn't need that, but. We're sure it's how we're going to utilize it, and we're going to use it as much as we possibly can. So, yeah, I mean, you forced me to say a negative. I would say that would be the one. Um, outside of that, um, you know, I, I, I really lay down to the consensus of the community. Like I said, I've wanted the power, the instant power down. Um, but you don't hear me being salty about it because if there's not enough for it, then I'm wrong. I wasn't right. And if I am right, then it eventually is going to come up. And I'm not concerned with that as long as I say my piece. And that's how I feel. You have to really humble yourself. It's a completely different world than Web 2. You have to you have to state your piece and then, you know, really have some humility to the community and see see if they vibe with it and see if it's something that that wants to happen or not. So um, it's that's what I love about Web 3, though. I love the collaboration and getting there together. Because if I ever get the answer, you know, I'm a little scared. Like, am I right? Am I wrong? Where's the debate? Where's my blind spot? I don't know everything. So you feel much better when you get there as consensus. And it's been vigorously debated. And as you said, you know, you move slow. But when you do need to move, you're capable of moving fast. But these fast decisions came from years of deliberate um, 
paying attention, research, focus, grind. Well, it, it's amazing how, uh, you know, I've been writing, uh, I don't know how long about HPD and it, it, it's, you got, you got to drop the ideas and it's continual article after article, after article, discussion after discussion. And, you know, I, I've been talking about the time locked, uh, uh, vaults, if you will, in the savings for HBD for a, a while now. And it mm -hmm. looks like they, not this coming hard fork, but the next one, it might be coded. But, you know, uh, Smooth was out there with HBD stabilizer. He had that idea years and years ago. And we got that about a year ago. And okay, that was a major breakthrough. And that kind of kicked everything off. And then a little APR and that kicked everything off. And now we're getting more and more with HBD. So it's all part of that slow process. And like you said, you've been talking about the, the uh, power down penalty, if you will, for years now. And well, some other people, including myself, uh, are coming over to your side. I wasn't sold on it a few years ago. But you know what? I, I can see that point where, uh, you know, if you charge a 10, 15 percent instant power down penalty, OK, and then you feed that back to the HP holders. Well, what are they going to do with it? It it It's going to be staked because it's being paid out as HP. So the network's still protected. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, and exchanges still can't attack because they're going to, have to burn 10, 15 percent of their user funds. So they're not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I like it, but, you know, more debate around it. And we'll see if it gets pushed through. If it does, it should dramatically increase our our APR for high power without inflation. Excellent. Well, Dan, it's too bad we lost Matt. Uh, John, how about the peanut gallery? Do we have any questions, comments, points of interest that you bring up? People making fun of my bald head or anything well, like def that? Def definitely making fun of your bald head. It's a good crowd, okay. a really good crowd on Twitter and Vim uh, today. People stopping by uh, YouTube. Sadly, Facebook just, you know... Zuck, well, that's, that's the other thing, said. Dan. We, we have a badge. How many blockchains have been targeted by Twitter like Hive was? I mean, I, we may be the only one that actually was just put on the, the total ban list by Twitter. Yeah, I mean, just from a just from a nonchalant point of view, it looks like they promote scams and they really hid the Hive, which was a threat to their technology. And then they just so happen to want to be creating something at the same time. But... I don't know. I don't think anything. I don't. I don't. I haven't heard too many other crypto coins talking about being shadow banned. Hive is definitely shadow banned. For it seems like the veils have come off though. So we'll see. Any questions out there, John? Any anything you want to point to? I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah. No. Uh, looks good. Um, Harrington wants to know what would happen uh, if someone created a game that looked like Ragnarok um, on a different blockchain other than Hive. Um, I mean, I'm exist? sure it could be done, but I, you know, I mean, Hive is, I think, superior to build on. But then again, I'm very biased. So yeah, it'd probably be centralized from a, a lot of points of view, especially if you have to deal with high gas fees. Three point three million NFTs are no joke. So yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, I didn't think of that. I mean, uh, imagine even you know. 3.3 million uh, NFTs at 10 cents or 20 cents a pop on BSC. That's a lot of money. Yeah. 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 But yeah. you mentioned, Dan, uh, it, and you said other projects. Uh, 
without going into any detail, do you have a couple other things on mind that are, are bouncing around, some other things you're working on? You kind of hit us out of left field uh, some months back with this Ragnarok thing. So do you have some other things in the pipeline that you're starting to stir up? Yeah, I always have the back burners being utilized. Um, I really, I don't know. I don't like to create too much hype. So um, when there's something that's more tangible, I definitely have many ideas that I want to go through. But right now, it's sort of like I have two children with um, Ragnarok and the Speak Network. I want to make sure that they are taken care of and launch in a stable way and then are able to grow up on their own. Um, so that's the goal right now. But yeah, um, once Ragnarok is really, when we get to the point where it's NFT holders voting, then um, you'll you'll hear probably very quickly another project that I've had on the back burner. So. Exciting times, exciting times. John, you want to share anything that's bouncing around uh, that you guys are working on? Or are you still going to leave us all hanging? Oh, I'm leaving you totally in the dark, man. You're wearing sunglasses, so that, you know, I can't I can't say too much or else you'll definitely need, like, super-duper sunglasses, like, next-level sunglasses. You're, you're, you, Dude, guys we're always getting, you're, you guys are getting we're as always, bad as Cal. I'm we're sure. always building stuff. We're just, we just are very uh, <laughs> snail's pace is how we do things. Yes. There's one guy who codes and, and then me who just dances on camera and, yeah. There you go. Well, Dan, thank you. And, and it's a shame that Matt had his internet connection. Uh, maybe what we'll have to do, uh, John, is we'll have to invite Matt back when he gets his internet connection uh, situation straightened out so he can give his view on everything Dan said and <laughs> contradict Dan if he wants. Where in the world is Starkers? You know? <laughs> internet like in Pakistan or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and as a plug, 12.30 Eastern Time, 9.30 Pacific-ish. Every Thursday is the live CTT call. You can find it uh, in the Three Speak Discord. We play a little Where's Waldo with the, the broadcast. Sometimes it's in Discord. Sometimes it's on Twitter. It depends on how much Matt wants to screw with me, I think, half the time. But, you know. Anyway, that's just me being the center of my own world. But certainly get into the Three Speak Discord, show up at 9.30 uh, Pacific time, and it's a wonderful show. Dan, you guys are getting your own CTT groupies that we show up every week. And, uh, you know. <laughs> CTT <think>, groupies. <laughs> yeah. And unlike the, and John, unlike the Cryptomaniac groupies, they're not like eligible like the Manson family for the nut house. I mean, they're actually some sensible people there. I'm not one of them, but there are some. So you're the leader of the groupies then? That's what you're no, saying? No, I'm not the leader because I'm just, you know, I'm not right. We all know that. But there's some some good guys there and what girls. After after 30 plus episodes, we'll take any groupies. We're glad <laughs> we still have people watching. Uh, please, please, it was requested, John, to please yeah, share. Yeah, I'll share the three you have one. it So yep, they can it. sign up. And uh, it's it's always a fun show. A lot of lot of interesting topics. And by the way, uh, also just one other point on CTT. If you find interesting articles or tweets or stuff relating to crypto that you want to talk about, there's a section where you can drop the links in there. Uh, and Matt does a pretty good job about going through them and then bringing it up during the broadcast. 
So it's a great way to learn about what's going on on crypto, although they tend to talk a little bit about high points in a blue moon. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate you coming by. Appreciate your time as always. And of course, everything you guys do for this blockchain. Um, it's it's awesome to have you here and always sharing your uh, wisdom and insight with us. And speaking of two crazy kids that you're trying to raise, I got two right now that are like screaming in the background and I'm trying to mute my mic every time they smash something on the door. It's exciting. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I can see the passion. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to be there in August with the uh, number two. So number two boys. Two. Oh man, congrats for that, dude! I got two boys too, and they're similar in age. It's yeah, he just learned about smashing glasses now, so he's uh, <laughs> needs to watch them now. He's a little freaking bulldozer. Yeah. Uh, Mine's in the navy, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Although she's cook. armed, so. That might be a bad yeah. thing. But. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate you. And uh, thank you thank again you. for your time. And thanks to everyone for tuning in as well. We and appreciate everybody task. taking their time out to follow us. Yep. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cryptomaniacs podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to hanging out with you again next week.